Okay, back uh, with another edition of the Bowlers Extra podcast uh, here on JC Online through uh, SoundCloud. Uh, Mike Carmen, beat writer for the for the Bowlermakers uh, for the Journal and Courier, uh, getting ready to uh, for Saturday's game between Purdue and Wisconsin up in Madison. It's been a house of horrors for Purdue up there for several years. Uh, it's been a house of horrors for Purdue when they play Wisconsin <laughs> the last decade uh, or so. But uh, uh, it's a Big Ten West opponent and a lot on the line for Wisconsin, a lot on the line for Purdue uh, for this game. And we're going to break it down a little bit uh, with uh, uh, Colton uh, Bartholomew with the uh, Wisconsin State Journal. He's been happy enough to join us today uh, to, to take a look at the Badgers and see what we might expect. So, Colton, uh, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for carving out some time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Mike. All right. Uh, f- first place I want to start, I don't want to start with Jonathan Taylor because he's too easy to start with. Sure. I want to I I start with the Wisconsin defense. When you look at the last four or five games – I believe they've given up over 20 points in each of those games. Now, when you look at the beginning of the year, they were really solid. I think they only gave up points in maybe two of their first four or five games. Now, some of that could be competition. But where where's this Wisconsin defense at right now in the relation to where to where it was at the beginning beginning of the year and what what has kind of transpired these last three or four or five games? Yeah, I think a big factor in it is. Uh, we were starting to see some of the fatigue of getting later in the season set in. Uh, they started out red hot, like you said, you know, shutting teams out, and they never really seemed to have that, that letdown later in a game where you might expect it, especially when they're building some big leads. But I think what we've seen the last few weeks is just uh, a team that has, their starters have played a ton of snaps. You look at especially in the front seven, there hasn't been a ton of rotation, especially for the linebackers. So uh, when you're starting to see some missed tackles and some plays that you know should be a three or four yard gain become you know 15 and 20, uh, and that's really what's hurt them. And then you look at you mentioned the competition. Obviously, you go you know from playing you know, Kent State to then Ohio State and Iowa and uh, Nebraska, who all have pretty solid offenses, if not, you know, Ohio State, one of the best in the country. Uh, the competition's definitely gotten tougher, and I think there's been points where Wisconsin hasn't tackled well enough to, to limit some of those big plays and get themselves off the field. So I think that's something that can be fixed, but how quickly they can get it done, because this has been a talk for the last two, three weeks is, you know, tackling better and bringing the energy later in games. So how they can get it done here with uh, Purdue coming up and then, like you mentioned, a lot of riding on the line for the next couple of weeks for them uh, is a big factor in how well they'll play this game. Now, Jeff Brown mentioned on Monday, he, he in his review of Wisconsin, uh, he, he sees the one area that where they've been hit or teams have had success is a more mobile quarterback. Is that... Is that something that comes to mind? I mean, you look at Ohio State with Justin Fields. You look at uh, Martinez from Nebraska. Is that a is that a common theme that has come up uh, uh, with, with the Badgers this year? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could even go back to the Illinois game with Brandon Peters, who's not like a Fields or a Martinez, uh, that athleticism, but still a pretty mobile guy that will, will take the ball on options. And I think they're a pretty sound team when an attack is, is a little more traditional, a little more straightforward. But we've seen Wisconsin, when, you get, when they get stretched out and when teams will, you know, kind of spread them out horizontally and then run on them, uh, they've had a lot of struggle with it. And I know that's something that Purdue is, is going to be looking at and can kind of fold into their offense, which I know has the greatest running game this year. But when you look at some of the chunks that 
Wisconsin has given up on the ground the last few weeks with some of these spread runs. It's got to be something that's, that's fresh on the mind of Brom and uh, any Boilermaker fan. Yeah, with Purdue, they really don't have the running quarterback in Aiden O'Connell. He's a walk-on. And as you mentioned, they don't have really the running game uh, that has generated big chunks. Now, in the passing game, they've they put up some big numbers uh, with some, sure. some of their freshmen. Uh, receivers and some, you know, and their tight ends. But has, uh, you know, has Wisconsin? How they've, how have they done against the pass? I know they're not giving up a, a high completion percentage in Big Ten play, but have they given up some big, big chunks in the in the passing game? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the, the issues that they've had is the secondary is a really young unit. They had a lot of guys come back from last season, but last season was a big struggle in the secondary. So even though they've taken some strides, there's still some some of those kind of warts that they're working through as, as younger players in the secondary. I mean, you go back and look at last season's game with Purdue, a triple overtime classic game, and really kind of threw all over them. Obviously, the injuries with this year's Purdue team much different look, but it's a lot of the same secondary guys, and uh, I think they're definitely in for a big challenge because uh, like you mentioned, Purdue is doing really, some really good things in the past game, and they challenge you to not only be sound in your coverage, but then tackle because they're going to find space for their receivers, so those are things that I think Wisconsin's really got to focus on, and if they don't want to beat another type of shootout or you know potentially overtime game with Purdue, they've got to do a, a much better job sticking closer to receivers and tackling when they get there. All right, let's move to the offensive side. Jonathan Taylor, we all know his name. We all know what he what he can do, what he's done. Uh, and as we were talking before we we started to record this, this is your first uh, first year on the beat, so you get a you get a different perspective. So, what stands out to you about Jonathan Taylor that uh, that maybe you didn't know before you started covering this team? You know, I think on the field. It's the, the amount of work that he puts in to evolve his game because you look at before this season, he didn't have really any type of threat in the passing game. And as a defense, you could see him on the field in the third and long and just kind of, no, they're not going to throw to him or he's not going to be a factor here. And that's really changed this season. They haven't thrown to him a ton, but when they have, he's made the catches and then he's, he's converted those into first downs. Uh, it's like 75% of his catches end up being first downs. So that's something that he's really added, and I think that's something that is impressive when you look at his on-the-field work because a guy with his talent and the things that he's done, if he just said, you know, I'm going to continue doing what I do and not try to, you know, divert attention elsewhere, it would kind of make sense because he is so talented. But him adding to his game and continuing to do that is really impressive. But then from an off-the-field perspective, it's just that I'm sure he's got a little bit of an ego behind the scenes or maybe just when he's listening to some closer people. But he is one of the most humble guys you would ever see in your life talking about, you know, he acts like he's had 200-yard games in the last two weeks. And you ask him about how he did or what he saw, and it's all about the blocking. It's all about the fullbacks in front of them. And, you know, that sounds cliche and everything like that, but then when you talk to the linemen, the fullbacks, and the quarterback about Jonathan Taylor, that's what they say, too. It's like it's never about him, and it's always just spreading the, the attention and the, the gratitude of what they're able to do as a unit uh, around. So I think those are the two things that really stood out this first year. And I'm still amazed. There's a kid from New Jersey that ended up at Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, it's weird that they've got a really uh, solid pipeline from the East Coast for some of these running backs. Obviously, you go back to Ron Dane coming from New Jersey as well, but then, um, you know, guys in between, too, like 
Melvin Gordon. It's just this weird pipeline that they're, they're able to find guys around the country. And I mean, when you tell a running back, we're probably going to give you the ball 25, 30 times a game, I'm sure it's pretty easy to, to get him to sign. Yeah, but just his talent as a freshman, because, you know, a couple yeah. years ago, you know, Purdue went up there and, you know, he ran for over 200 yards. But just, you know, he was he was a man when he walked on campus. It was just, it was it was striking to see just how how mature he was and just how physically ready to play college football that he was. Yeah, and the weird thing is, a lot of times you see a running back that maybe has the size and the speed, but it takes a while to find that vision and that ability to read where a hole is going to be and how a block is going to develop. And he had that coming in, and you, you do not see that with freshman running backs often at all and then it's only gotten better in the last couple of years for him and even the last couple of weeks they they got really beat up at that in that ohio state game obviously it ended up being 38 to 7 and taylor had one of his worst games of his college career now he's come back after the bye week he's talked a lot about how much more patient he's trying to stay behind the line and really letting blocks develop and letting things happen so that when he does decide to pick a hole and go he's getting full speed in that first two to three yards and he's really not getting contacted for the first five to six yards so that's really where the the explosive element has come back to this wisconsin offense now you may not have a great reference point since this is your first year covering the beat but this off this you know this wisconsin offensive line it's what they're known for it's what their bread and butter has been in recruiting, and it's been their, you know, it's a reason why Jonathan Taylor can have the seasons, the Melvin Gordons can have the seasons, the Ron Dayton's can have their seasons the way sure. they are. But just where, where's this offensive line at uh, from a talent perspective, uh, and just how are they performed uh, this year? Yeah, I think it's a it's a little bit of a notch down from what we saw the last couple of years, where Wisconsin had three guys go to the NFL and then would have been a fourth had John Dietzen not suffered so many injuries in that last couple of years of his career in college. But um, I, I think it's a little bit of a step down from that, but there has been some really bright spots. If you look at Tyler Biotish is a guy that's more than likely going to be a high NFL draft pick, maybe first couple of rounds uh, as a center here in college and maybe he moves the guard and then the pros, see what happens there. But you look at him, he's kind of the ringleader of it all where he gets everybody set. He makes all the calls up front, and there's a lot of trust in him from, you know, calling out protections. And really, once a play gets in, Jack Cohen doesn't have to worry about the offensive line because Tyler Biotis sets it all. And then you look at left tackle, Cole Van Lannon. He had a tough day over at Ohio State. Obviously, Chase Young's a guy that's, you know, nobody's really blocking him <laughs> over at Ohio State. But, um, outside of that, he has been one of the, the rocks of this unit and really just emerged. He played a ton last season, like I mentioned, with the Deetson injuries, but uh, really emerged as a, as a leader and kind of one of the spokesmen of the line that, that sets everybody and kind of sets that tone. Um, they, they've had some issues at guard. They had a lot of rotation in the first few weeks, um, but then I think the last couple of weeks they, they really settled on two seniors, uh, David Mormon and Jason Erdman, that have taken those spots over. And while they have you know, a mistake here or there, they're not like, you know, the guards like uh, Ben Swashel and the guys that they've had in the last few years, but um, they've really kind of solidified it and at least given them a B to a B plus every play when you know some plays weren't getting that earlier in the season. So I think the line as a whole is a step down from what it was in the last couple of years, but it's still a really solid line that's the engine of the offense. All right, as reporters, we're supposed to ask challenging questions, so I've got one for you. 
see if uh, see if you can handle this. It's a hypothetical, obviously. So if you, okay. if you took Jonathan Taylor out of this offense, what what would be their strengths, and how how effective and how efficient would they be? Um, I think their strengths would they would have to kind of convert into more of a, of a West Coast really short passing game type of offense because I think Jack Cohn when you keep him between that 15, 10 to 15 yard range he's a really accurate guy and then they actually have one of the deeper, more talented receiving rooms that they've had in the last you know, I'd say a couple of decades it's just tough to balance out getting that, those guys as many snaps and touches as maybe they would like and then balancing that with having Jonathan Taylor this all-American running back that, that needs 25-30 touches to, to really wear down a defense so I think if you took Taylor off this team, they would kind of have to convert into a more West Coast, shorter passing style team. And I think they would have moderate success, but I don't think they would be in a position like they are right now to potentially win the West. So you're telling me they're going to throw the ball 60 times a game, right? Uh, if they didn't have Taylor, you, might, you never know. Because, I mean, the, the amount of attention that he gets from defenses and then is still able to produce is, is something that's really special. All right, but here's the other key question. Is this Jonathan Taylor's last home game at Camp Randall? Uh, that's the, the consensus <laughs> that we all kind of feel around here. Uh, Jonathan Taylor hasn't made any definitive statements about it. He was on Rich Eisen's uh, radio show a few months back, and he said that he expects to be at the NFL Combine in, in February. So that would you know pretend that he's going to be uh, heading to the draft. But uh, I think when you look at the, the running back running back class that's going to come out with them and then just uh, the way that NFL running backs are going where maybe they're not as high of draft picks as they, they once were in the league, but the, the value that they bring, if you can be a three-down guy like he's trying to develop into this season, uh, he, he can be a, a game-changer at the next level, and I, I do think this is going to be his last game at Camp Randall. So who's behind him on the depth chart, and who who takes over that role next year? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, So far, it's been Nakia Watson. He's a freshman out of... Uh, uh, Houston, Texas, and he, he's shown flashes, and I think he's gotten better each week. He's, he kind of did the opposite Taylor was talking about, about, of being impatient, where he was getting the ball and running straight at the hole where he thought it was supposed to be and just kind of running into the back alignment at times. But uh, I think in the last few weeks he's, he's shown that he can be explosive and be a guy that has some good speed, but he's finally shown that, that hesitation behind the line to let blocks develop and get the hole where it ends up being, not maybe where it's drawn up on the play card, and then you know gaining some yards. Because th- what they have done in the last few weeks is Taylor's getting his you know, 25, 30 touches, but Nikita Watson's coming in and getting you know, five to eight, and they're not losing too much production in terms of yards on those plays. So uh, he, I don't know if he's going to be able to replace Taylor in full, or maybe it's a running back by committee once he leaves, but he's a guy that's, that's showing some promise to be able to be the successor. Or it might go air Paul Chris, right? Could be passes yeah, all over I the place. I mean, possibly. I know they've got a couple <laughs> of uh, running backs coming in the next few recruiting classes yeah. that they're really high on, so uh, maybe maybe it's not next year, but a couple of years down the road they have another stud. Okay, now with Saturday's game and with the, the big one looming next week at Minnesota, and I'm sure that this question has been asked up there, and it's probably on the mind. What the the percentage of chances that Wisconsin anyway overlooks Purdue's, Purdue coming to town on Saturday? If they 
only had one loss, I would say there's uh, a decent chance. But the fact that they've already done that, in my opinion, overlooking Illinois, looking up to the Ohio State game, and then seeing what happens when you do that and losing down in Champaign, uh, I don't think there's any chance they look, overlook Purdue. Uh, there's a lot of respect with this coaching staff and what Brom is doing with all the injuries and really sustaining uh you know, two two wins here in November, uh, even with all the injuries and all the guys that haven't been able to play, uh, I think there's just too much riding on the line to, to allow yourself to look ahead even one week because you've already seen what this Wisconsin team can look like when they're looking ahead, and that was sloppy and just not enough energy down at Illinois. Yeah, that, that game still surprises me because Wisconsin clearly won the stat battle other than the turnovers, and should have won that game. I mean, as as a guy that watched it firsthand, could you could you believe what you were seeing unfold uh, late in that game? I, I couldn't, especially you know, Illinois did such a good job staying in the game, but then in the fourth quarter, Wisconsin goes up by two possessions and then uh, gets a fourth down stop on defense. It looks, I think there's about eight minutes left in that point in the game. Maybe it's even a little less. And it looked like they're going to be able to run out the clock. And for whatever reason, Jonathan Taylor is fighting for extra yards uh, after gaining a first down and then fumbles. And then once that fumble happened, then you could kind of start to feel it in the stadium that, okay, something's happening here. Illinois quickly scores after that. Then it's another turnover with Jack Cohn's interception. And that really just set it up that they were that Illinois was able to kick that field goal and win the game. But it was one of those things where everything, even as poorly as Wisconsin had played up until that point, everything was still going to work out they're going to be able to escape with a win but then you turn the ball over and give that Illinois team another life uh, that just shows what you can happen or what can happen when you overlook somebody which I think they didn't explicitly say after the game but I think it was pretty much the undertone that they were getting ready for Ohio State and uh, a Big Ten team got them. Colton Bartholomew from the Wisconsin State Journal joining us on the Bowlers Extra podcast and just kind of one more question for you not related to the game but this is your first year on the beat You've been to a few Big Ten cities. What have you? What have you? Uh, what have you gained from uh, uh, some through some travels of uh, of going around the conference so far in your first year? Man, it is exciting. Uh, I love that walk from the, the parking garage or the parking lot, wherever we end up having to park by the stadium, and then walking by the tailgates and walking by the the, the atmosphere around a college football game on a Saturday, especially in your Big Ten, because. You look at so many of these towns are really built around the university and the football team in particular. So kind of getting that feel, especially when you go to, you know, when when I got hired mid uh, September, I I looked at the schedule and I'm just like, my first road game is going to be Illinois. So you know, obviously a a historic place, maybe not the the most energized place in the world. But then right after that, Ohio State and then Nebraska a couple weeks later. So it's been kind of a trip this last month here of uh, where I've been able to go and, and the experience I've had traveling and seeing just how you know into it these, these teams and uh, communities are around the team. It, it's just a lot of fun. Well, just wait till you come to West Lafayette next year. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm ready. All righty. Uh, Colton, we appreciate your time today on uh, short notice and uh, look forward to meeting you on Saturday and uh, uh, best wishes and uh, again, appreciate your time today. Once again, thank Colton for his time uh, breaking down the Badgers and maybe what we'll see on Saturday at uh, Camp Randall Stadium. He says the Badgers won't overlook uh, Purdue. Um, I I don't disagree with him. Uh, It is senior day, and it probably will be Jonathan Taylor's last game. Uh, 
but there there's an eye, uh, both eyes really looking ahead to that Minnesota game uh, coming up on uh, in in a, in a week, which will decide the Big Ten West uh, championship. And Wisconsin's going to know Minnesota's result from uh, the game on Saturday. They play at noon Eastern time at Northwestern. That's a game Minnesota should win. And to be honest, you know, Wisconsin should beat Purdue and probably could do it with a not a perfect performance, but if they just do the basics, if they play their A game, they're going to beat Purdue. That's just that's just the bottom line because uh, uh, of all the teams that have tried to break this losing streak against uh, Wisconsin, this Purdue team would not be one that you would think would, uh, would be the one uh, to do it with a third-string quarterback who's a walk-on, uh, a bunch of freshmen, um, some holes on the defense. Uh, they've played most of the season without uh, a lot of uh, their best players. So uh, going up to Madison uh, this time uh, is a daunting challenge. Uh, I think Wisconsin opened as a 21-point favorite. The line quickly moved up to 24. The last I saw, which was uh, probably Tuesday, uh, was 24 and a half, and I'm sure it will it will climb a little bit uh, before kickoff. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in the 25, 26 point range. Uh, although people might start betting Purdue at that point just to push it down because you're getting, uh, in essence, three scores. And you know, Wisconsin's defense uh, has uh, shown it's vulnerable a little bit here, as Colton talked about. Uh, maybe by wearing down and having some missed tackles. And Purdue has has the players uh, at, at certain positions where they can make you miss. David Bell, uh, even Bryson Hopkins, Amon Anderson, uh, and even King DeRue out of the backfield. So they've, they've got some uh, athletic uh, athletic players there that could make you miss. Uh, but, you know, Purdue's going to have to play uh, pretty darn close to perfect with no turnovers, no crushing penalties. Uh, they'd have to get a few turnovers from uh, the Badgers, uh, to stay in this game. And, you know, the bottom line is that they're going to have to, uh, somehow stop, uh, and contain Jonathan Taylor and that offense, uh, from just running downhill, uh, all day. And that's, that's a monumental challenge in itself. But, you know, a couple years ago when Purdue went up there, uh, Taylor rushed for over 200 yards, but it was a 17 to nine game. I, you know, I think, what happened in that game, uh, Wisconsin got out to a 14 nothing lead and it looked like it would be an easy game and Purdue hung around, hung around. They were able to get uh, three field goals out of the deal. Uh, they had a block punt that uh, Frace Johnson doesn't come up lame. Um, he's not lame. I just said he came up lame. Uh, Race is a good guy. Uh, that if uh, he returned that block punt for a touchdown, it might change, you know, it might change the game a little bit. So, uh, so they, you know, they've had some opportunities. Thirteen game losing streak to Wisconsin, though. That's that's a long time. Two thousand four, which I know is etched in the memory of most Purdue fans, and a lot of people point to that game in two thousand four as a turning point in the program. Uh, I'm not going to disagree. I mean that if you look at if you look at where both teams, this Purdue and Wisconsin in general, what both teams have uh, done since that point, you would say Wisconsin got the better end of the deal. Uh, and that's that's probably a game in the Purdue history that uh, a lot of people will always point to as as a turning point game. You know, Purdue wins that game. You know, who knows what happens at that point for them? 
still a lot of season left, but the way they had played up to that point, uh, you would think that they would be able to finish out that year in a, in a strong fashion. Uh, you know, the eyes, the eyes of the nation, uh, were definitely on, on Purdue that day. And, you know, Kyle Orton fumbled, uh, Wisconsin took it back for a touchdown and in essence, the game was over, but there were other plays in that game. And I was just, uh, looking at the box score the other day, uh, cause I was doing some research for, for this game. And, you know, Purdue had a chance at the end to tie, but missed a field goal. And there was a dropped interception by Kyle Smith uh, on one of the drives. Uh, I can't, you know, I don't have that in front of me right now, but he, he dropped uh, the what appeared to be a sure interception that I, I don't think would have sealed the game, but would prevented Wisconsin from scoring there. So there were other plays in that game besides the, the Orton fumble that, that, that made a difference. But uh, the, the end result of that game kind of put – put two programs on a different trajectory there. And, um, and this, and now we're in 2019, the, and Purdue hasn't beaten Wisconsin, uh, since that night at Ross Aid stadium, uh, in 2004, uh, updating you on what happened this week at Purdue practice, at least in the, the times that we were able to watch, um, on Tuesday. Now we're uh, recording this on Wednesday on Tuesday, uh, we're able to watch the first two periods of practice, and that has been the norm. You know, ever since um, – can't remember the game right now, but uh, ever, ever since leading into one of the games, uh, we, we got no depth chart, and then we got, we got shifted to two periods that we could watch. Um, and I don't know if they've – I think they've won two in a row since then, so I don't know if they're trying to keep the mojo going by not giving us a depth chart or giving you a depth chart and then only letting us watch uh, two periods. But anyway, as I digress, uh, Tuesday, Lorenzo Neal was out there practicing, uh, at least in the periods that uh, we were able to watch. He was going through some individual uh, drills, um, and that's mostly what they do at practice at the beginning. Uh, he walked you know, he walked past us. Um, he was in full gear. Um, he went through, I think he was working with the third team defense uh, at that point, and uh, also heard that on Sunday he was working with the scout team uh, on defense. Uh, so that on Tuesday that seemed to be a positive sign that he might uh, travel with the team to Wisconsin and then uh, potentially see some action. I, he's not at any kind of – I don't believe he's in any kind of really game – he's not in any game shape because he hasn't played, but he's not in any you know shape to play a lot of snaps. But just to get him out there would be a positive. But on Wednesday he was not out there. And – uh, that you can, you can go down to several paths with that. A, he, you know, needed the day to recover because he really hadn't practiced all year. Uh, you go down another path, you know, maybe he tweaked something and it's just not going to work out. Uh, or, you know, you can pick the path you want to go down if there's something else that, that crosses your mind there. But I would, uh, uh, I would probably, you know, on Tuesday I was optimistic that, he might be able to play today. I am not as optimistic uh, that uh, that he would travel with the team and potentially uh, play. Uh, you know, just from a playing standpoint, you know how effective he would be. You know that that's a debate. Um, it gives you another body up front. Um, but if he's only going to play fifteen to twenty snaps, uh, how much does that help you when you've had? other guys in there most of the year and you you've you've established a pretty good I think a pretty good rotation on the defensive line 
uh, over the last several weeks. Uh, you'd love to have Lorenzo out there playing most of the year, but I don't think that's going to happen now. You know, I, I, I think he's probably uh, probably played his last. You know, I don't know if he's played his last game or not. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not. I don't know if I, I think throughout the year that was the thought that he was he was probably just headed to the NFL. But you know, there might be some other things going on there that uh, that nobody knows about, or only a certain certain group of people know about that might uh, might lead might lead us in a different direction here. Uh, coming up over the next uh, several weeks, didn't see Cornell Jones uh, either either day. Uh, no Jared Sparks, which wasn't a surprise because Jeff Brom talked about him on Monday uh, with his high ankle sprain. It's it's probably unlikely that he would play this week. He hasn't practiced. Didn't see Rondell Moore practicing, uh, at least in the brief period we we're there. It doesn't mean he they don't uh, they don't bring him out uh, <laughs> after that just to fool everybody, uh, but. Uh, those were the main guys, you know, you, you know, when you, when you look back to the Northwestern game and some of the players that were uh, game time decisions, they all played uh, Jackson Anthrop and Corey Trice, David Bell, uh, Samisi played. Uh, he didn't play a lot, but he played enough. And I, I would expect him to play more because of the type of offense that they're, they're going to face on, uh, on Saturday, uh, more of a traditional lineup and run at you type of offense. And I think that's where Samisi plays, uh, is is at his best, so I, I would look for three linebackers uh, on the field most of the time uh, to try to slow down uh, that running game. But you know this is a this is a tough uh, tough challenge for Purdue, no question. And they're going to have to you know bring bring their best to try to try to stay alive for a bowl game. And you've got Aiden O'Connell making his you know second start, uh, first time he's ever going to play at Camp Randall Stadium or be at Camp Randall Stadium. So he's going to have that noise and that crowd, and then uh, the third quarter uh, jump around uh, to deal with. Uh, so you know it's going to be quite an experience for him. But he just seems like a kid that just soaks it in. Um, he's not he's not cocky at all. I think he has a I think he has an air of confidence uh, about him uh, that um, goes along with his uh, kind of mild mannered uh, approach. Um, and you know, I think that and that's paying off. And here's a here's a here's a young man that has led two game winning drives, uh, the last two games. So he's got some he's got some ice somewhere that uh, that helps him uh, do that. Interesting story that uh, uh, will be on JC Online that uh, Jamarcus Shepard shared uh, about the beginning of the year and during during uh, uh, the off season or the summer conditioning that you know Aiden obviously was part of that and he was. Uh, making his throws and uh, doing, you know, what whatever work needed to be done in the off season. And uh, King Drew told uh, Shepard that he thought uh, number sixteen, which is Aiden O'Connell's number, was the starting quarterback. So you know, this goes back to the summer when uh, O'Connell uh, left an impression on a lot of his teammates. And you know, at the beginning of camp, Jeff Brown had had moved him from number four to number three on the depth chart in part because Nick Sipe was dealing with a back injury that had kept him out of spring ball most of the time and the way that uh, O'Connell had thrown the ball in, in spring practice and the way he ran the offense, you know, warranted that uh, elevation. But, you know, what Shepard shared was just kind of more of a, another sign that they, you know, internally they've been, they've been really high on, on Aiden O'Connell for a long time and now he's getting an opportunity to show, but this, 
this will be the true test uh, for him because he's got to maneuver his team, his offense, into some some positions to score uh, and take advantage uh, of any mistakes that Wisconsin would make. Uh, Purdue's going to need to score some points in this game. And Wisconsin's defense, as, as Colton talked about, has, has given up some points here recently. And if, you know, if Purdue can can get on the board and get on get get there early, then you know maybe they can uh, uh, dictate some things. But uh, it'll be it'll be a difficult challenge for Purdue from a basketball standpoint. Uh, men's basketball back in action on Saturday. Uh, they'll be hosting Jacksonville State. You can follow Sam King for all that action. Eight o'clock tip off which will, you know, should come shortly after the, the end of the football game. And then uh, after that, the men's basketball team will get into a, a, a tough stretch where they'll, they'll go to Florida uh, to play two games. They open with uh, VCU uh, the day after Thanksgiving. Then they'll play Tennessee or Florida State uh, the next day. And then they have coming back home Virginia in the Elite Eight re- re- rematch, uh, uh, which will have, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure Mackey Arena will be buzzing uh, on that night uh, in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And then uh, Purdue's going to play, uh, you know, they're going to open up Big Ten play against Northwestern uh, that next weekend. So and then they got another week off, and I think they go to Nebraska to play their, their second Big Ten game before I think they finish uh, with Ohio and Central Michigan uh, in the non-conference before jumping back into Big Ten. So they've got an important stretch. You know, this is going to be important after you get through Jacksonville State uh, and assuming that there's a victory there Saturday night, and they've, you know, I think Purdue's in a point now where you know their basketball team is right now where they, they just can't take anything for granted. You know, Jacksonville State's going to be a step up from Chicago State, but it's still a team that Purdue uh, should be able to handle. But after that, you got a three-game stretch that you know Purdue's going to have to, you know, get some things done because the the losses to Texas and to Marquette, you know, don't. They're not bad losses, but Purdue needs some 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 signature wins on its resume. Uh, so when it gets to turning time, that they can you know it's you know they can first of all get in the tournament, and then second of all get a get a decent seed. So they need to get on a they need to get on a run here uh, through the non conference, and when they start playing Big Ten games, to kind of set themselves up uh, for March. But if you remember last year, they had. Uh, uh, they had some struggles in the non-conference. Uh, I believe they were six and five at one point. Turned it around, but you don't have Carson Edwards. You don't have that one guy right now. But you know, and this team's going to be different in that regard, where there's going to have to be multiple guys step up and and perform on a on a on a nightly basis uh, for this team to succeed. Appreciate you listening to this edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. Subscribe. Uh, through all the necessary means, tell your friends, tell your enemies, uh, tell your loved ones. Um, maybe you could give a subscription to the Boilers Extra podcast, either for Thanksgiving, which I know gifts aren't exchanged at Thanksgiving necessarily, but also for the holiday season in December, you could give someone uh, a gift of uh, this podcast at Christmas. Good stocking stuffer. If you could find a way to put a podcast into a stocking, uh, I think that would be wonderful. Uh, maybe uh, the the brilliant engineers of the world could figure that out. Anyway, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we'll have a recap after uh, the football game on Saturday against Wisconsin, and then probably back next week for a little bit more combo football 
uh, in basketball. Thanks for listening and have a good day.